Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to the RA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, the managing director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa. And we are very excited to have a special guest here, someone I've known for quite some time, Arthur Ambrick, the CEO of Peregrine Wealth Management. Arthur, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it and looking forward to getting to hear a little bit more about the Paragon story. Yeah, Mark, thanks for uh, having me. Appreciate you guys and everything that uh, RA Edge does for the uh, for the industry. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I appreciate you know, that you're taking time. It was a very busy time of year right now for Paragon and for a lot of RIAs. I think a lot of what we've talked about over the last you know, few weeks and months obviously has been related to mergers and acquisition activity. We've talked a lot about human capital and the battle for talent, but you have a really unique position in the RIA ecosystem. Um, so I know a lot of our listeners may be familiar with you and the firm from a distance, but before we get into some of the specific trends, some of the areas where you're seeing growth for your firm and for others, maybe you could just give a brief little overview on you know, the where Paragon fits in the RAA industry and how you would describe your business model and objectives. Yeah, I guess it is somewhat unique. I, I Just a little backstory. I started off as an advisor, you know, 20 something years ago. And about 10 years ago, joined Paragon. At the time, it was um, I think under $150 million in assets under management. Fast forward to today, we're about um, $6 billion in assets. Obviously not linear. Uh, I think we always tell stories as if it's linear. A lot, of, a lot of ups and downs and learnings along the way. You know, I think around 2017, I would say, you know, we, we, we decided, at least Phil... The founding partner and myself that we wanted to go out and 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 bring on other advisors and and, and create a partnership. You know, at the time, I I, I think the industry. I was talking about how the industry had uh, I thought of things as very binary. That there were two kinds of firms in the industry, right? There was there was the consolidator, where everybody was on their own and and and, and did their own thing. A lot of a very siloed environment uh, where where there isn't a lot of uh, collaboration amongst advisors. And on the other side of the equation uh, was the enterprise firm, the firm where, you know, everybody, uh, everybody did, did the same thing. Investments being the easiest example of that, right? Most advisors, if you go back 10 years, there were five investment models. There was aggressive growth, growth, growth with income, income with moderate growth, income with stability of principle. Everybody fit into those five, five models. You know, at the time, Phil, it started with Phil. Phil was an individual stock person, still is to this day, uh, a, 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 a model that 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 kind of rep, replicates the S&P and takes a value orientation. You know, for, for clients that I and my team had worked with, it was more of a factor-based investing model. But but what brought us together was 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 the idea of 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 bringing different skills and expertise to the table, creating 
an environment where if we shared in our skills and resources and brought different specializations to the table, that would create a better client experience. And so kind of thought the firm of the future was in the middle of these two models, right? Maybe you have the autonomy and and, and the respect for, for that, that advisor-client relationship, um, but you have that collaborative uh, environment uh, of the enterprise, you know, you know, for, for lack of a, of, of better analogies, I always use, you know, a, a, a good law firm or, or, or a good hospital where, where you have your attorney or you have your PCP, your primary care physician. But if you have a specialized issue in legal or, or, or health, you know, they, they direct you out to the specialist in that area. Um, now I think more people are talking about this, right? Integration, the firm of the future being in the middle. So, you know, 1718, we we had a few tuck-ins, as we call them. 2019 uh, brought on a, a strategic partner to help us out. 2020, we did our first acquisition. Uh, I think 2021, uh, we, we did in 2022, maybe did a, another one or two. And then in the last well, second half of 2022 and first half of this year, I think we've done five more acquisitions um, to get us where we are. We've gone from two partners in the last last five years to to fourteen partners, I think it is now, and and we'll continue to uh, to have more partners as we as we grow this thing. Yeah, and it's amazing, really, to just hear you say six billion, right, um, up from one hundred and fifty when you first started. I think sometimes you know, in our edge, we obviously have a lot of the most successful firms like yours on the show. And it may take for granted just how difficult it is, right, to grow and have some of the success that you've had. And I'm glad you started by saying it wasn't linear, right? Um, and I, I think for a lot of our listeners who might be in that 250 million to say 750 million dollar zone, right? Um, in essence, under management, you know, that you know, valley of death, right? They're trying to get to a billion. There's a lot that they can learn from you, right? Um, about you know what it takes to not only get there, but once you're there. How do you run a firm that is built to continue to grow, right? Um, at a consistent and sort of stable rate. Um, so maybe we can start there, uh, Arthur. And I think it's probably you know really helpful for our listeners to get a handle on well, for one, this valley of death thing, right? It's an overused phrase, and I don't know if it's still accurate, right? Um, so is a billion dollars is that really still the threshold for being a quote elite firm, right? And if not. What is? And then the follow-up to that question is, at what point did you feel like, you know what, we've built something here that is a really institutional quality wealth management firm, and it doesn't feel like something that's still in the early stages of a small business? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 I hear that. And I think for a long time, people said, yeah, that 250 to maybe 1 billion range was what they call a no man's land. And, uh, you know, for me, boy, I, I think it was it's always hardest, I think, to get to that first billion. Maybe a little easier to get to two or three billion. But for me, I uh, I didn't feel out of that no man's land until probably closer to three billion. And it, it might have had something to do with a lot of our growth being in the middle of COVID, because it, it, it's from a people perspective, right? I, especially for us. Okay, we're 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 an advisor owned firm, or I should say majority majority advisor owned firm. And for us to really professionalize, run a business, you know, we need to have quality people around us running the company every day. So I, so I think for me, it was getting to that point where, you know, we had 
good, competent people who share our values as, you know, CCO, COO, head of business development, uh, CFO, all of these CIO, all of these people you need around you to run the business. Also, I think, you know, for folks who are trying to get acquisitive and get into the M&A space, it's, it's, there's good and bad news. I think the good news is there's, there's, there's more opportunity than ever. And and there's more strategic partners than ever. On the other side of the coin, it's far more competitive, I think, than it's ever been because there's also more acquirers. So getting your feet wet, learning your story and attracting like-minded people into your firm is, I think, in that 250 to billion or 250 to 2 billion range, um, there's a lot of that that trial and error, uh, admittedly, that happened in those days. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that, right? Because I think it probably hits home with a lot of our listeners. Um, and I think when you started mentioning the specific titles, like a COO, a CCO, a CTO, you know that is really important, right? To remember that that isn't something that every firm currently has or should have, right? You have to have a certain size and scale, right, to really do that. But the importance of specialization shouldn't be lost, right? Um, so you, there's a few things there that I'd like to unpack maybe, and you touched on M&A, um, you touched on you know, talent and human capital. You also mentioned, you know, a lot of your growth took place during COVID, right? Which I think, you know, being out of it, fortunately for some time now, um, we might sort of lose the benefit of hindsight, but it was a really difficult time to build, grow and manage people. Um, so maybe we can start there, but what are some lessons, Arthur, coming out of COVID when you were doing acquisitions, hiring new people, and really, really, truly growing. Um, some lessons learned on how you've effectively managed human capital during a really different, difficult period of time that you've built on and carried with you into 2023 and likely beyond. Yeah, I think, um, boy, you know, it's it was uh, obviously there wasn't a playbook going into it. So so to, to say any of us knew exactly how to handle that situation would 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 probably be disingenuous but for us i i think again i talk about the importance of people you know when you have when you have um one or two offices and you have five or 10 or 15 people you know it's 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 pretty easy i shouldn't say easy it's the culture is driven by the main call it advisors in those offices right the two or three advisors who 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 run those run those offices as as we as you grow you know for example in 2022 we went from i think 56 people to 91 people we now have 100 have mm-hmm. over 100 people i talk about these other members of the leadership team you need you need all you need everybody to be aligned and everybody to be managing that culture right and 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 you, you need you need more contact with people throughout the organization when they're working from home. So, so you really need that alignment on the leadership team. You know, the other thing that we've done, uh, tried to do more of coming out of COVID is, you know, have quarterly in, in each location, have quarterly uh, offsites where, you know, we have a charity day or, or people people get together in some kind of social fashion. You know, I was talking to our CIO the other day and and she suggested, hey, why don't, is it okay if I get the investment team together? And, and I thought, hey, it's a great idea, right? Today, the investment team is, is uh, I think, I think uh, 
one per couple people out in the Bay Area, somebody in Chicago, somebody in Kentucky, somebody in Massachusetts. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense, maybe on a team level, to get people together more. I'm sure a lot of people follow um, follow Adam Grant, the management, you know, pretty famous management consultant. He 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 talked about coming out of COVID that you know figuring out ways to get people together in in person, especially. If they're part of a team, their studies are showing that it's that it's really important. So, you know, more of that. Uh, but again, like, you know, the management team being aligned with their messaging and around culture is more important than ever as people are either hybrid or remote today. Yeah. And I think you know, what I'm hearing more and more of in your commentary and a lot of these discussions is really just kind of comes down to focus. There was a lot of growth that took place you know, during you know, 2020 through 2022, right? Um, a lot of it was mergers and acquisition, right? But a lot of it was you know, obviously through, for the first time ever, you could more or less market your capabilities, you know, deliver your services to anyone anywhere, right? Being within 25 miles of where someone lives, right, was not a core part of your value prop anymore. So it's an amazing opportunity for the industry, but in the process of everybody being remote and your investment department example is a really good one. You just have to be ruthlessly focused and you know, determine like what are the clear lanes that everybody is you know, sort of swimming in. Um, so I appreciate that sort of the structural overview you gave, but you know, obviously the importance of bringing people together to maintain that focus and sort of build on some of your strategic planning is critical. You know, with that, I would also just sort of ask, we've talked a lot, um, not just on the podcast, but you and I have talked about it in think tanks and other you know, uh, areas, but the battle for talent right now, we know a lot of the largest RAA firms are actively recruiting for brand new positions. We did some research recently where we found that about two thirds uh, to three quarters of the largest RIAs are hiring a role right now that they've never had before, right? Pretty amazing sort of demand for talent. Um, are there specific roles that you're looking for right now? And are you seeing certain areas of need when it comes to talent that are emerging as you know, new, right? And potentially more important than ever for your future growth? Yeah. Uh, first off, the battle for talent. I just want to, I, I actually think for the consolidation is going to create a lot of opportunity that 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 this is something that smaller and mid-sized firms should really this is a really important topic mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of opportunity for small and mid-term mid-sized firms over the next few years to get really really experienced talented people because that's going to be created through consolidation yeah right the, the, when there when there's consolidation especially uh on the on the higher end of the market there's going to be there's going to be positions within those two firms that are duplicative, uh, resulting in resulting in really talented people coming to the market. So 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 this is you know so so companies you know our size and smaller should be really thinking about okay when what are these positions that we want to invest in? So for us, I I think I, I think growth is an area that we're probably focusing in on trying to find talent. We hired our first director of marketing in January. Uh, and that, and that's been really great for us. I, I, there's more opportunities for mm -hmm. firms to compete for, for clients. Then there, there's less barriers to entry than there uh, were previously in, in terms of the large uh, opportunities. Firms who have had great organic growth, they've either spent a, whole, a lot of money on marketing, I think, 
in, in a lot of cases, or, or, you know, they've been part of some of the custodial referral networks. Yeah. And, 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 and in a lot of firms that are smaller don't either have the money to spend on the marketing to compete, or they're just not part of those referral networks. You know, with the onset of all of these different, you know, digital marketing companies, uh, lead generation companies, there's this opportunity for to have a director of marketing for that director of marketing to go through the the advisors, you know, talk to them all about their niche and find the best way to create an online presence for them and to get new clients that way. So that's something that we're 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 investing in. You know, and then as you grow, it's there's a lot of normal things that that that, that get more complicated. You know, uh, compliance, uh, financial side of things. So you got to make sure you keep uh, you keep working on those. And then the other thing that ah, this is a big thing for smaller firms to think about. In, in full disclosure, I think the first acquisition we we did uh, the the transition took about a year. The, the the next one uh maybe maybe took uh took almost a year i, I think now we're down to a month or two okay. uh but if, you, if you're thinking about getting getting into the the MA space having having a built out transition team is 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 critical for you as well oh absolutely and i definitely want to touch on that uh because i think it's very very important but i do want to touch on um organic growth and more specifically you mentioned this hire right this director of marketing role that you added in the beginning of the year I'm very interested in that. Um, there are probably, a, we've done some research. It looks like less than 15% of the firms, the RAAs in this space actually have a director of marketing or a chief marketing officer. Um, they may have sort of mid-level or lower level marketing roles, but not somebody who sort of strategically you know, has a seat at the table, right? With the executive team um, and is thinking about marketing. It tends to happen when you hit a certain threshold, whether it's, you know, two, three, four billion you know that threshold is when you know, the the contributions of you know the partners um if it's 10 15 20 million a year just don't move the needle as much right so this approach to more let's call it one to many growth right um strategies two questions for you one where did you find your director of marketing and did they come from the wealth management industry or did you have to go outside right and then two you know what are some of the things that you would like to see as it relates to marketing and the continued increase in organic growth that paragon experiences yeah so the whole thing that's all so interesting i at at the ra edge conference i you know paul and i uh, had a session where we talked about the lack of marketing in uh in in paul from worth.com and i had a conversation about the lack of marketing that happens in our our industry it's you know the the numbers are not the numbers are interesting a the organic growth of most firms net of markets is becoming a popular topic is very very low traditionally right um so, some say it's almost flat some say low single digits whatever it is it's not it, it's not much net of markets and then you know, for an established advisor, the average closing rate, meaning meaning the 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 when they get a referral, the rate at which they convert that referral to a client is very high. Hmm. Um, I've I've heard as high as seventy percent, and and what that means is is that a lot of folks out there have gotten comfortable, and a lot of firms have have gotten comfortable or resigned themselves to a strategy which is getting referrals from existing clients, which by the way, uh, is is something that should always be a number one focus, right? Servicing mm -hmm. your existing clients well, so they refer people to you. Uh, we're not talking about anything that takes the place 
of uh, of that. It, it, it will continue to be uh, for a lot of firms a, a a a good source. You said one to many. That's interesting, right? The issue with that strategy is you're it's a network that you're in. It's a niche that you have, and over time, that network that 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 niche can, can get more and more saturated whereas some of these other in, in particular digital lead generation every time you get a new client you're potentially it's a whole new network right and if you service that client really well they will then refer other other folks to you um so opening it up makes a lot of sense in in terms of kind of expanding that that web of referral uh possibilities you asked about our our, our marketing person she came from outside the industry and 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 she immediately uh, thought it was it was pretty it was pretty shocking uh, how, how little uh, the us in, in the average firm was doing around uh, around around lead generation around online presence around all all, all of these things and 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 so I I think I think I was talking earlier about enterprise versus 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 consolidator and that enterprise firm. Where everybody did the same thing historically, you know, and then I talk about the firm of the future where we have this all this expertise and we can manage the value of having all these people is we can manage all of these different types of clients. Um, and and you, you connect the dots between that and a marketing person in all of the lead generation tools, you can you can create something pretty powerful and exponential. I, I think we're in the early stages. I uh, I I. I I, I mentioned we just hired her in January, but we're already working on deeping, deepening our relationship with a couple of these these lead generation uh, tools uh, companies um, where where we we acquired an RIA tied to one of the larger tax firms in the con- in the country last year. We're working on deepening that relationship. So it's uh, you know I I think yeah, again. Some of these firms, and I've said this to a lot of people I know, some of these firms who historically have just grown through referrals, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, there's something out there for them to take their niche to the marketplace and and, and, and hiring somebody sooner than later is probably a way to do it. I, I think there's also, Mark, a lot of a lot of talk lately about people have 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 really been focusing in on on inorganic growth and 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 for those companies that don't also focus on organic growth. Um, they might run into some headwinds here. You know, for 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 Paragon, we've been we've been pretty fortunate outside of net of markets. I think we've run, you know, ten to fifteen percent organic growth consistently. So, including markets, you know, high teens, pretty consistently over the last few years. It's very impressive. Uh, we know, yeah, you know, by and large, that most true organic growth, excluding markets, probably been in the lower single digits mm-hmm. um, for most firms uh, for a very long time. Um, and it's, we always talk in terms of percentages, right? Um, but it's all relative. Um, the larger the firm, the more impressive the growth rates are when you're doing double digits the way you are. I do want to just sort of sum up also, just like we said before, the word that kind of comes to mind when you were talking about your structure and your people um, was focus. When you were just talking about some of the organic growth and some of your hires, you know, the word that kind of comes to mind for me is options. Um, there are more options than ever before, whether it's you know for you know, putting new people in new roles or some of the technology lead generation tools that are available, right? So that's that's great. I'm glad that you brought that up because we don't tend to talk about that enough here 
on RIA Joe navigating those options, right? Because not everybody can do everything all the time, of course, is complex, but better to have more options to evaluate um, than to have you know, far fewer and just have to rely on the same traditional sources, right, of growth. So thank you for expanding the view a bit. Appreciate that. And I do want to pick up on the MA piece, right? Um, and maybe that's a good place for us to land here because. There's always, it doesn't matter what the market conditions are these days, right? Um, M&A is always top of mind um, on every podcast that I do, every conference I go to, um, and every side conversation I have. Um, there's some discussion around what's the market look like right now? Um, is M&A activity up or down? What are valuations? What are the multiples? You know, putting all that to the side, right? Or I'd love to just get your take on what role right here in July of 2023, you think M&A can play in the growth of a really good, well-run, successful RIA firm moving forward? Oh, I, I think it's only, I think over the next, I can say post 10 years, what will happen, but um, certainly over the next five to 10 years, it, it, it's going to play, continue to play a huge role in the growth of, of companies. I, I, I think there's a couple different um models out there um for folks I, I talked earlier about the partnership model for me you know that's the direction we decided to go into mm -hmm. we wanted we wanted partners who can come in and you know expand our intellectual capital base our expertise and 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 build something in in that way there's there's really three components that people need to think about right from M and A, very simplistically, and and I think our industry is pretty opaque about this. Uh, I'm not gonna lie; I, I think it's I think it's it, it was it's it's somewhat difficult to navigate the landscape. Mm -hmm. But the very basic basic, you know, foundation. There's three components to M and A. There is equity. There's upfront cash, and there's cash over time. Okay, and so if somebody's thinking about getting into M and A, that's that's what they need to think about is, is, you know, do I want equity partners? Do I want to give up equity? Do I want to get diluted? Is that dilution going to be accretive? You know, for us, we've made the determination that the, that, that, that the dilution is accretive to us and our company and, 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 and our clients and employees and partners. And then if not, uh, you know, what's, what, what's the source of capital going to be, uh, or, or if it's going to be some combination, which often it is with us, right? What where's that source of capital going to come from? Is it going to be in the form of investment, or is it going to be in the form of debt? But I, the opportunities, you know, enormous for everybody. You know, my first acquisition was actually our first acquisition was a little bit more of a merger, in 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 you know what would be termed an equity swap, and 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 you know as we went through that, you know I remember Jeremy saying you know what could go wrong here. And and I said, well, we're 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 becoming partners. So what could go wrong is culture. So you know, we got all the teams together, right, in one location. We had everyone meet each other. We just wanted to make sure. It took probably a year to 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 formalize that partnership because we really wanted to make sure that we all wanted to work together. So I think that's critical if you're going the equity route. If you're if you're going more cash route, then you know, do you have the team in place to to service those? those advisors there's there's so much to think about but but you know at its core i think every firm should be thinking about it because ultimately especially in today's environment as we talked about with with digital marketing the 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 sum of the parts is you know should be greater there should be a situation where the sum of parts is is greater 
right than than the individual pieces and and that's that's what we found you know so i would encourage everybody to talk to people learn there there's so many experts as you know out there in the in the space today that can help people think about this and formulate a strategy uh, and i and i think if you wait there's always going to be room for smaller firms but there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the space over the next 10 years and 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 i think there is a very reasonable case to be made that 10 years from now there'll be much less optionality for all of these folks than there are today than there is mm. today. i uh i agree and um we'll have to schedule that uh 2033 you know, uh RIH podcast interview now let's mm-hmm. go back and revisit but yeah you know, on the whole i think that the comment you made just around how opaque the industry is right when it comes to m a is important that's why we do this podcast right uh, i get a lot of calls from people asking me, you know, what's the difference between firm A and firm B, right? If I go here, do I have to use their technology? Do I have to centralize my investments? Do I have to give up my name and logo, right? Um, and you think after the last several years of, you know, several hundred transactions, people would really truly understand the different types of buyers that are out there, um, let alone just sort of the deal mechanics, right, um, that go into it. But there's still a lot of education. Um, it's still, while it's an industry in growth mode, it's still very fragmented, right? Um, so, you know, with every one of these conversations, you know, we hopefully you know are able to make, if not transparent, right, the M and A world a little bit more translucent, and we can shed a little bit more light on some of the realities of M and A. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, please. No, just because what you just said is important. I, it's funny that you mentioned two issues there: technology and uh, and and branding. I, you know, I think early on. You know, because we like to think of things in binary terms and, and binary outcomes, and because and it, it's simple for us, Easy. I had very hard, straight rules about that kind of stuff. And <laughs> over time, I've learned to be more flexible. Sometimes it makes sense for somebody to keep their branding, right? Yeah. Sometimes it makes sense to delay the transition of, you know, your CRM, whatever it might be. Um, so I, I just, I just think if I was, if someone's just getting into the M and A space, I would say stay open-minded be, be 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 flexible and focus on again if if these are people you want to work with versus whether they want to use the same crm or investment platform that you do i think that that is a phenomenal common sense point <laughs> to end end on there right you don't necessarily hear a lot of people in your seat you know talking about that kind of flexibility right uh, but I think it's important, right? Uh, because you know, not everybody is designed to be, uh, I don't want to use the term professional buyer, but a serial acquirer, right? That has to scale, right? That has to create that sort of centralized you know, control that you know, a lot of people think, right? Might be common across all of the most active buyers out there. Yeah. Um, so Arthur, thank you for shining a light on that. I appreciate it. And thank you for some by the RA Edge podcast. We've talked a lot over the years, but I think this is the longest and most in-depth conversation we've had. And I really, truly appreciate you spending as much time and also just offering as much insight into your business as you did. Yeah, thank you. I uh, I, I enjoyed the time and uh, always appreciate talking to you, Mark, and looking forward to uh, connecting again soon. Same here. And Arthur, again, congrats on all the growth that you've had at Paragon. Again, while we talk about and talk to firms that have grown quite a bit over the last decade or so, uh, we don't want to take it for granted. We know that it's a ton of hard work, a a ton of strategy planning and execution that supported that. So congrats. Thank you for sharing some of your thoughts and best practices and providing recommendations to our audience here. So again, Arthur Ambrick, CEO of Paragon Wealth Management, thank you very much for stopping by the podcast. 
Thank you to everybody for tuning in here today. We hope that you found this to be very, very valuable in thinking about your firm's next stage of growth. And on behalf of the entire wealth management team at Informa, thank you very much for tuning in. And we look forward to having everyone back on the next episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Take care all. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.